Hey Todd. Hey Mike, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you today? So far so good. Awesome, awesome. Well folks, today we are more going to be talking more about the Gilded Age. And um, today the specific topic will be on industrialization. And that will maybe, if we have time, lead into some immigration and urbanization. So we have a lot of uh, Asians to talk about today. Uh, so, Todd, what can you tell us about industrialization during the Gilded Age? Well, I'm going to first have to credit a book I'm reading this out of, A Concise History of the World, which it gives a pretty good concise definition. That, you know, something I learned myself. The industrialization was termed by a Frenchman. Uh, he coined it for what he was seeing going on around him. Uh, what he saw and he described it as was the transformation of society, the production of manufactured goods in larger quantities and on a larger scale than ever before. This relied on gathering together a larger number of workmen to do it and the use of power-driven machines in ever-growing numbers. I don't know that I can explain that or describe it more concisely or better than that. Man, I tell you, that sounds pretty uh, like a pretty great definition. And I don't know if it picked it up on the podcast or not, but, you know, I noticed that when you turn the page, it made a little page noise. Yeah. I think that makes it a little bit more legitimate. What do you think? I think so, too. It makes it sound really important and official and experienced to this. Makes it sound pretty smart, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. We need all the help in that realm. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um Todd, you know, I'm sitting here looking through my college history book, and and uh, I noticed that during the Gilded Age, they referred to the industrialization period as the second industrialization period. And so I'm thinking, well, when was the first one in America? So I flip backwards a little bit and uh, kind of find out that the industrialization period began in Great Britain in the 1700s, and then it kind of made its way over to America and that's when they started making the textile mills and and it just kind of boomed and of course the united states was just uh naturally full naturally full of human resources and they kind of opened the door to immig immigrants coming in and um and it, it really never did close as far as the number of immigrants coming in so kind of as a big picture uh type of scenario here we have a country that's full of natural resources we have a country that is filling up with immigrants every single day from Europe. Uh, and I tell my students in history that most of the immigrants before the Civil War came from Northern and Western European countries. And after the Civil War, which would be in the Gilded Age, um, we're talking more, more coming in from Northern and Western Europe, but also some from Southern and Eastern Europe. And so, um, why are they coming over? Well, they're coming over for jobs, coming over for to escape uh, persecution. There's a lot of upheaval in Eastern Europe and Russia at this time. The communist revolution is not too far around the corner for a lot of these people. And so, just like today, they're looking for a better way of life. So, um, what kind of uh, what kind of industrialization, Todd, did we look at? Uh, are we looking at in this second industrial revolution? Well, we're definitely seeing a lot more mechanic, mechanical industrialization. We see a great use of steel with the Bessemer process now making steel more pure. We've got electricity in place. We're now also seeing industrialization not being dependent upon water sources. Uh, that can be anywhere, which now means urban environments because they need more of a workforce. 
And and to continue on what you're talking about, the immigration and the early parts of industrialization, for the English, you know, this is where it really started, and it got to be very proprietary for them. They even prevented their people from leaving the country because they didn't want to lose the source of, you know, the economy. Uh, but by the end of the, you know, 19th century, we're going to see that the United States is going to be the greatest output in the industrialized world at this point. Uh, and like you said, it needed immigrants. And to back up what Mike said, the, uh, you know, the northern uh, Europeans, uh, say Ireland, for an example, 1880, uh, had about 71,000 immigrants. But that would diminish to about 1910, we'd see about 29,000 immigrants coming in. Where if you go to southern Italy, you know, southern Europe and Italy, 1880, you've got about 12,000 immigrants. By 1910, we'd have over 200,000 coming in. So very significant transitions there. But we needed them. We needed people to work. And the cities grew because of that. Um, and that, that didn't come without conflict or controversy. Uh, because if you think about it, what happens, you know, even today, when the talk of immigration comes in, people talk about jobs, you know, losing their jobs or competition. Uh, so we get, you know, other things that come into play like the Chinese Exclusion Act because it wasn't just Europe. It was uh, Asia as well. Uh, 1882 with the Chinese Exclusion Act, we had 39,000 people coming in. But after 1882, within a couple of years, 1884, we had 279. So from 39,000 down to 279 people. Uh, we get the gentleman's agreement to limit Japanese immigration, uh, where we'd see probably uh, 1907, we would get 30,000 immigrating, and then within a couple of years, it'd be down to 3,000. The gentleman's agreement part of it was uh, segregation, segregation of schools in California, people not wanting Japanese in the same schools. And I think Theodore Roosevelt, the president, came in and kind of negotiated out an agreement. We're going to desegregate, uh, but we're going to limit immigration. So uh, immigration played a huge amount in this and whether or not this is going to function or work because we needed people to do this. Todd, where do you, where did your ancestors come from? Were they part of this immigration wave coming over? Uh, part of them were. I have some in my family I could trace back to the 1600s, the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812. But my namesake, my last name, they're German. They came over in 1850. Uh, they actually settled in the Midwest. Uh, now, while everybody, I guess, is going to the big cities, uh, my family stayed out and farmed and became part of the farming agricultural revolution during that time. You know, um, my side of the family, actually both sides of my family, my, my dad's side and my mom's side, uh, came over from England. And they came over also before the Gilded Age um, and settled in Virginia, I believe, in the 1700s. But, uh, you know, e even though I'm not Irish, I kind of have a pretty good Irish uh, fake accent in my classes you know they I'll, I'll say students um, do you know how hard it was for life uh, on the on the ships coming over on the Atlantic from the mother country and they're like that doesn't sound Irish that's like a combination of like maybe Irish and English and Russian and so 
I think it's pretty good, so I get a big laugh out of it. And and I don't know, maybe there's, the students are laughing too, but I think they're maybe laughing more at me than with me. Do you ever get that in class? Uh, daily. Daily. Maybe it might be hourly, actually. But the <laughs> Irish were huge immigrants. Uh, you know, you look at the uh, potato famine that affected Ireland. Uh, I want to say maybe a million and a half Irish, if I remember correctly, immigrated after that famine, which was actually, I think, a fungus that destroyed their crops for a few years. And having been to Ireland, I can tell you there's still very strong feelings about that because a lot of grain was still being produced in Ireland and shipped to England. Hmm. So while people were starving, uh, the Irish who were dependent upon the potatoes, um, you know, there was a very strong feelings against the English and what they were doing at that time. Um, but yeah, there's a massive migration, a massive loss of life in that country, and it impacted this country because we had a significant amount of Irish immigrating to this country. Yeah, you know, um, I uh, finished uh, The Jungle, written by Upton Sinclair not long ago, and uh, of course those immigrants were from Eastern Europe, uh, I believe it was Lithuania, which is just neighbors with Russia, and um, you know, it, it my goodness, what a powerful, powerful book. Um, and it, it talked about the hardships that that all of these uh, immigrants endured coming over. And, and um, they would spend just weeks and weeks on these old steamships. And most of them couldn't afford the good uh, tickets where you got a cabin. So they had to stay uh, up on top or down below in the hull, which I believe they called steerage. And... Uh, they uh, ate maybe one meal a day. A lot of times they got sick. And uh, if, if they did endure the hardship of coming over here, uh, they had to make a, a stop, a, a pit stop, before they were allowed into the country. And um, uh, there, this, uh, these two places, both on the East Coast and the West Coast, were called Angel Island on the West and Ellis Island on the East. And I always tell my students it's easy to remember because Ellis begins with an E and East Coast also, of course, uh, begins with an E. And then uh, Angel Island is on the West Coast. Now, it wasn't off the coast of Los Angeles, but Los Angeles is over there on the West Coast. But they endured um, some quarantine uh, time, so to speak, where they were inspected for their health and... um, they uh, they were they were inspected uh, thoroughly before they were allowed to come into the to the country, and occasionally, um, one of the family members would not be allowed to come in for one reason or the other, and were actually would have to go back to the country that they came from, and you know I couldn't imagine coming over with my parents and and my brothers and sisters and maybe grandparents and and everything and all the whole family and then one or two of them having to go back because of something like this um, but it happened it did happen occasionally the um, also in this book the jungle um, it talks about this this particular family that um, ended up in the Chicago meatpacking industry and um, the the in just the hardships that they endured and and it seemed like just when you're reading this book, when you think things just just could get about as bad as they possibly could get, something else would happen. But it's just such a powerful book that that um, it made it to to the desk of Teddy Roosevelt, and 
um, he got with legislators, legislators, and they uh, implemented new laws um, to try to protect us from from the the bad things, the the unhealthy, uh, contaminating um, practices that were going on inside the meatpacking industry. It wasn't nice. I mean, you're talking uh, from what I recall, you know, mice, mice droppings, mouse, mice poison, rat poison. All those things ending up in the food supply, the sausages, the meat, uh, really grossed out a lot of people when they read about what they were eating and what was going on and the conditions. And from that, we get the Pure Food and Drug Act, uh, thanks to Roosevelt and others. And you know, today we, you know, things we take for granted were, you know, because of the conditions and what was done about it during this time. So, you get all these people immigrating. You know, what are we going to do with them? Where are they going to go? Where is the industrialization occurring? This is where we're going to see this urbanization that occurs, where people are moving into the cities very fast at high rates. And it's not like the cities we know today, because we don't have the suburbs, the outer lying cities, where you can just commute into town and commute out of town. It's not like we got cars to ride. Um, although we're going to see the electric streetcar and the subway come, during this time frame, early on it's not there. So, living conditions not so great. Infrastructure not so great. Um, we get tenement houses, narrow low-rise apartments, cramped corridors, poorly lit, frequently no indoor plumbing, many families, large families living in small rooms. Not great conditions. Uh, I think by the 1900, two-thirds of New York's population was living in tenement housing. Uh, but you needed to be close to where you worked. And, uh, and these were the conditions you had to do just to have a job. Todd, do you like spam? Actually, I do. I really <laughs> do. I really do like spam. Do you eat it just straight out of the can, or did, do you I'm kind not, of fry it up a little bit? Uh, yeah, I'm not that comfortable with my relationship <laughs> with spam. I eat it raw. I... I do like to fry it up a little bit and make a great Spam sandwich. Mm -hmm. Once in a while, that's a nice, good comfort food. Yeah. You know, um, I was thinking back to this, uh, these meatpacking plants in, in Chicago um, during this time period, and, and uh, they canned most of the meat, or they put it in sausages, and uh, it, it's just... Uh, unimaginable what went into those sealed cans and uh, they deemed it was safe to eat and um, oh my gosh it was just just uh, some bad stuff that was going into these cans but um, you know uh, you were talking about these tenement homes and also these um, um, uh, urban centers these big cities that that had these um, these tall apartment type of, of buildings pop up and people families lived in large rooms they shared large rooms or if they were fortunate enough to get a small one-room apartment they crammed the whole family into it um, and there might be six or eight or more people in this one room and this one room would serve as a as the the kitchen the living room the bedrooms a whole nine yards and so they just kind of crammed in there somehow um, I've seen pictures and these poor families uh, that lived in in these 
apartments and it's just uh, I can't imagine living in those conditions and in going down to the restroom or going down to uh, um, a, a shower room and um, the uh, you know that the plumbing wasn't that great if any at all yeah yeah, yeah very limited on and I've, I've shown some of the students pictures of the streets uh, dead horse out in the street with kids playing around it yeah, and the sanitary conditions existed out into the streets as well. Yeah, there just wasn't adequate uh, infrastructure or support system to take care of these things. Uh, you've also get you know reactions to that, which will lead into some other podcasts like uh, Jane Adams finding the whole house to improve social conditions in these areas to help those in need. Uh, we see reforms like the social gospel movement to try to help those in need. So. There are those that are going to come to the aid of it, but there is such a significant need at this time uh, that it just, you know, it's, it's very demoralizing to see or, or think of as you read about it, uh, what these people endured and, and what we should be so grateful for to have today. Yeah, we do take a lot for granted, that's for sure. Um, almost to a point where we're almost spoiled. I don't consider myself spoiled, do you? Do I consider you spoiled? <laughs> I'm going to refrain from answering that one. Well, I know my wife might say that I'm pretty spoiled. She she uh, is a is an amazing cook, and she takes good care of me. That's for sure. Um, but you know, um, Todd, we could we could definitely go on and on about some of the horrific conditions. But America was also a land of opportunity for a lot of these immigrants. And uh, it, for many, many, um, as they tended to migrate to the West, um, many of them, like probably both of our families, um, ended up becoming farmers and, and living close to small towns or in small towns, kind of like our town that we live in here. Uh, it, our town is Spearman, Texas, or this is where we teach at. And we're in the panhandle of Texas, in the northern panhandle. And... Um, and Todd, your family is, is originally from this area, aren't they? Yes, I'm the uh, fifth generation. Uh, some of the early settlers who came in were part of my family that did that. And you know that, that does, you can't go without saying the conditions that these people endured uh, without thinking out what they must have left to try to come here for that opportunity. Uh, in many of the countries they came from, there were no opportunities for them to ever own land or to get ahead. Uh, or to be free or to have your own self-determination and that's what they were seeking out you know they were seeking a better choice a better chance better life better opportunity for their kids uh, and leaving an area that was was you know not safe or not you know not going to give them the opportunities that they needed so not not something that is too unfamiliar with what we see today in immigration you know why are these people moving or migrating and it's you know for their own lives, it's for their opportunity, for their family, uh, seeking something better than what they have. Well, Todd, that's kind of, our time is getting short. Um, I do want to uh, thank everyone for listening in to another podcast on the Gilded Age, and we hope you gained something from this talk. Um, and we are already thinking about the next one. So, we're going to hit on the next Gilded Age podcast very soon, so stay tuned. Anyway, hope you have a good day. Take care.